it was really meaningful because it helped enable financial and economic freedom for this for this person. And you know, there's other cases of that, right? We have cases where it's you know somebody bought one or two RVs and they're you know now small business owners. And we have cases where people have gotten into this professionally and they're making you know millions, right? Uh, but it's all meaningful, right? Because fundamentally, you know, we're helping to have people build businesses that are successful, and they're doing it by helping people connect with nature and explore their country, which is both exciting things. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we're exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern. And while I'm coming to you from Cleveland on today's exploration, we are making the trip down to Akron to speak with Tahir Hassanji. So over the last year, as many of us have found ourselves geographically confined, Societally, we have been seeking out domestic vacation options that won't quite expose us to the risk of infection that we face from the pandemic that unfortunately still plagues the country. And what many people have stumbled upon in this exploration is RV Share, which has recently closed on $100 million in financing to capitalize on this historical opportunity and has taken the reins as the country's leading peer-to-peer marketplace for recreational vehicles. Tahir is the Director of Business Development over at RV Share. He's a friend of mine and also one of the sharpest people that I know. Prior to RV Share, Tahir worked at Jumpstart, and so his Cleveland startup perspective spans both the operational and investing side of the equation. We cover the whole depth of his perspective on this conversation, and I hope you all enjoy. Before we dive into the world of RVs, uh, I would love to hear how it is that you came to this recreational vehicle world. How has the arc of your career been to to land you as the director of business development at RV Share? Yeah, it's been a it's been a journey. So, um, you know, I actually started my career in politics. I was uh, the deputy finance director for a congressional race. So it was a suburb outside of Philly, hotly contested. Uh, this is in 2012. Yeah, and we lost. We lost by a lot, uh, and so there was no job on Capitol Hill waiting for me. So I was, uh, you know, I was kind of back to the drawing board in a lot of ways. Uh, and you know, basically, my my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, said like, "Hey, check out this Venture for America thing." And so I looked into it more, and I thought it was cool, and I applied, and uh, somehow they let me in. And through that, I found a firm uh, based out of Cleveland called Jumpstart. Uh, it's a VC fund, and and basically was a good fit. So I packed up my car and drove out and spent four years there. But I knew I wanted to be an operator. So towards the end of that, I was looking for, you know, the right pivot point into uh, an operating role. And I met the founders of RV Share and we hit it off. And so it made sense for me to jump ship and, and join them to run business development. So that was my entry point in. I mean, I knew literally nothing about RVs going into my role at RV Share. <laughs> so it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah. As you kind of made that jump from the investing world to to the operating world, you know, you mentioned you you had this interest in being an operator. What was it that you kind of picked up from from the investment side, and how how does that translated into into the operating world? Yeah, so I think that probably the most important thing that I picked up was keeping a, an eye towards macro kind of trends, right? And so so by that I mean you know having an understanding of where we needed to go as a company and letting that drive a lot of the short-term decision-making. So, you know, I wasn't like always trying to grow just to grow. I was growing with kind of an end in mind of, I know we need to get to X point as a company. And so I think, you know, a more concise and better way of saying that is just focusing on scalable initiatives, right? Which is like, it's great to do things that, that work in the short term, but I always had this mental thing going on where I was thinking, okay, but uh, you know, as an investor, is that something that I would discount? 
the value of? If so, you know, maybe it shouldn't be something we're spending a lot of time on. And that helped me focus myself and, and the team. Yeah, absolutely. So I imagine coming from, from Jumpstart and, and really getting a kind of the ideal bird's eye view of, of everything going on in, in the Cleveland entrepreneurial scene and adjacent, you know, Akron, obviously. What, what was the opportunity that, that you saw in RV share? Why, why'd you make the jump? So the biggest thing actually was everything seemed to work in spite of kind of obvious holes, if that makes sense, right? And so that <laughs> a better way of saying that is it's product market fit, right? So like as an example, when I joined, the design of the website was, was quite poor, right? But in spite of that, like I looked at the website and I thought, this seems like it's shady. And then I saw the numbers and I was like, those aren't shady numbers. Like it's incredible growth. And that made me realize that there was a real market opportunity, right? And so, so that's kind of what helped me fall in love with RV Share. That, in addition to the people, I mean, like I had a great relationship from day one with with Joel Clark, the founder, uh, with with John Gray, the the then CEO, still the CEO, the incoming CEO at the time. So, you know, knowing that I felt really comfortable with them, and then knowing that I saw a huge growth opportunity just based on everything I knew as an investor, right? Like this was a company I clearly would have wanted to invest in. You know, that made it easy to say, okay, well, I'm going to invest my you know, chunk of my career in this thing too. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us what, what RV Share actually is? Yeah, yeah. So RV Share is, is the largest peer-to-peer RV rental platform. So in the simplest way to think about us is, is we help individual RV owners rent out their RVs to other people that are looking to rent. Uh, and, you know, we've scaled up from being a purely peer-to-peer where it was just, you know, person that bought an RV last month to, uh, to having enterprise clients as well. And so enterprise clients, we look at that as, as folks that have RV fleets, professionally managed ones. Uh, those guys uh, are now with us as well, renting out through our platform. Nice, nice. Okay, so I, I definitely want to dive deeper into the business of, of RV Share, but I want to lay a little bit more groundwork before we do that. And as someone who has never been able to spend any time in an RV, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd love if you could give me kind of a rundown of the basics here, like a proverbial explain like I'm five years old, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So there's three classes of drivable RVs and there's several classes of towable RVs. So I, I'm not going to break down all the towables. We usually look at it as you know, motorhome is the drivable, travel trailer is the towables. Uh, and then within the motorhome classification, we spend a lot more time on, on the granularity there just because it's, uh, you know, the more sought after of the two types of units. And so on the motorhome side, there's basically three sizes, a class A. So that's like the giant things that look like a bus that you see on the road. Mm hmm. Then there's class B's. Those are like the almost a van, Mercedes Sprinter van type things that you see. And then there's class C's and class C's are kind of the hybrid. So those are the ones that seem in between in size. So those are the three biggest types of RVs out there. So we have all of those on our platform. We're in every state in the country. But you know what we find is that people love to rent the drivable ones and, and hit the road and start exploring. Yeah. Who, who are those people? Uh, what, what is kind of the demographic breakdown of of RV owners, of RV renters, yeah. of people that, that are getting in, involved in the space? Yeah, so most of our customers tend to be family travelers. So, we, you know, the biggest bulk of the business is folks that are taking a trip with their kids. And, you know, and then beyond that, we obviously have some group of, of you know, older folks that, uh, that, you know, maybe empty nesters that are using this as a chance to finally get out there, uh, you know, after years of being tied down by their kids. And then, uh, and then on the other side of it, we have, you know, sometimes we have younger folks that, that don't have kids yet that are, that are exploring the country. Got it. And where, where are people, <laughs> where are people going? What, what are like, like, what are people doing in this? You know, it's funny because the pandemic has, you know, in a lot of ways, it's you know, obviously the worst thing ever, right? For a million different reasons. But for us, it's, it's, you know, been interesting to see the ways in which it's changed travel, right? So, so 
as a whole, you know, it's kind of spiked our business. But what we've seen is that the, the demographics and the way and where in places that people travel are different. So pre-COVID, it was a lot of people flying out west to uh, explore national parks. Certainly not entirely, but that was a big, big part of the business. After COVID, it's been a lot of people renting in their home markets and exploring, you know, state parks and national parks that are closer to them, knowing that flying might be a little bit uh, of a risk, right? And so we see folks that are are actually kind of getting back to their roots in a lot of ways with uh, with getting to know the places that they're from. So, so that's been cool to see as well. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll get to maybe a deeper dive on the the boons of, of COVID for the business with the I mean, really extraordinary yeah. fundraise that, that you guys had over this last year. But are, are you worried at all about the, the headwinds that can come from people returning to normal, less outing, more office-based life revolving around that instead of like more static geography? No, not really. I mean, so the way we've always thought about the business is we're trying to make RV a mainstream form of travel, right? And, and, we look at that from a lot of ways. The biggest one is awareness, right? Like we want people to consider and think about RVs as a form of trip the way they may a cruise or a flight or anything else, right? Uh, and so kind of getting into that consideration phase more and more, like we found that like we think that this year accelerated us almost five years in terms of the level of awareness. So I'll give you some like macro numbers, right? Like, you know, we expected to, to uh, stretch goal. We wanted to have about a million impressions from PR this year. This year, 2020, I mean, um, and uh, and what we ended up with was uh, was over nine billion. So uh, so we kind of nine x our goal there, right? And I think that speaks to in a lot of ways the fact that RVs are something that people are thinking about far more now than they were a year ago. And overall, that's good for business, right? And you know, we hope that the world goes back to normal, obviously. But when it does, we expect that RV trips are going to be something that people are more and more interested and excited to do, right? And like I think part of it too for us is, is seeing that growth, right, of people that took a trip last year. Those are all going to be people that are now more comfortable renting RVs in the future as well. Yeah, so there is a sticky component to once yep. you've experienced the the wonders of RVs, you're you are more likely to, to yeah, do it for again. sure. I mean, look, in some ways, it's like you know, the first time you do anything, right? There's all these concerns about the challenges that come with it, right? You know, maybe scared right. to drive it or, or whatever else, right? Yeah. Do you do you need uh, a special license to drive? No, you maybe? don't. No, you don't. And like, <laughs> I look, I've driven the the forty foot Class A's, and I have to say, like, it was very easy to drive in my opinion, right? But bias, but I just, I didn't find it at all challenging. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but yeah, no, that being said, I think what I found is that, and what we found more generally, right, is like, is now that friction and, and fear of renting has gone away, right? Because they've done it, right? And they know what worked and what didn't work. They know what to look for in an RV in the future. They know, you know, what types of trip they might want to do based on that experience. So we've really opened the gateway for them to take more RV trips, both, you know, literally by providing those units, but then also kind of more from an intellectual perspective in terms of once they've experienced it, now they understand how to do it. Okay, yeah, this is really helpful, at least for me, uh, to understand the space a little better. I think it means you need to take an RV trip soon. I, I know. I'm, you know, obviously over the last year, it's it's the geographic nature that we've all been in where everything is very static and, yep. you know, change of scenery is it's 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 appealing. I, I'm not surprised that if the goal was a billion, you got nine billion impressions. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the other cool thing for us has been, you know, it's been exciting to be able to help people make the best of the the times, right? Like, you know, so if you're working from home, you might as well work from an RV, right? And get a Wi-Fi beacon and, and work from anywhere, right? Certainly is a, is a lot cooler than being pent up in your apartment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So before before we dive into to the business itself, I'd love if you could just kind of, you know, lay out how it is that RV Share got to, to where we are today. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess a couple of things on that. So, you know, one, I have to give, you know, all the credit in the world to, uh, to a few people that really are, you know, what propelled us to success and that's, you know, our founders, uh, Mark and Joel. So, you know, the, the founding story of the company is that Mark bought an RV for his, uh, for his honeymoon. So he bought an RV and they took a trip across the country. They did like a 30 day or something RV trip. And then they got back and, and it was just sitting in his driveway and he didn't know what to do with it. So he tried to rent it out on Craigslist. He tried to rent it out on other platforms. And what he found was, it wasn't easy or even viable to do for a variety of reasons. And, and well, a big one was because of insurance, right? Amongst other things, right? So, you know, while your license is valid for an RV trip, you obviously need to be insured as you do with any vehicle. And often auto insurances don't cover that. So all of that led to him thinking, you know, there might be a business here. And then, you know, he got together with, with a friend, Joel Clark, uh, and another friend, Pat Couch, who's our technical founder. And, and together, the three of them kind of built up the business uh, and started making progress and, and did an incredible job in those early years navigating some of the pitfalls of early stage marketplace, right? Particularly around getting sh- high quality supply and then making sure you're able to attract demand to make sure those suppliers stay on your platform, right? So, you know, fast forward a few years and uh, in uh, 2018, we had a uh, a new CEO come in, uh, John Gray, to take over the reins. Uh, and, you know, he's done a really, really good job navigating the business, particularly through a variety of challenging times to, you know, get us to where we are today. In John's background, he was the chief revenue officer at VRBO. So, you know, has experience building up marketplaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before John came on board, how how is validation of the idea? You know, you mentioned you you ultimately jumped ship because you had kind of mm-hmm. found that product market fit. You yep. you saw evidence of that. How is it that that you guys got there? Yeah, so it's funny because you know you notice with marketplaces when when something works, you kind of see the buyers and the suppliers willing to go through a whole lot of pain to make the transaction happen, right? And what that shows in a marketplace is that there is a problem, right? that needs to be solved, right? And problems are what lead to product market fit. And so, you know, in the in the case of our share, right, what we saw early on, right? Now I wasn't there for the earliest days, but what we saw fundamentally was that it's really hard to rent an RV today, right? It's hard for a variety of reasons, but fundamentally because there isn't that much supply. And even the supply that's there, you know, it isn't the type of booking experience that that you and I might be used to for any product that we we tend to purchase digitally. And so creating that experience was really critical. And then on the back end, you know, buying an RV is is two types of mistake, right? It's a type of mistake where, you know, you only use it, the average utilization of an RV is about two to three weeks a year, right? So, so it's the type of mistake where you, you bought an RV, but it doesn't really matter to you as much because, uh, you know, you have the money and the means, right? In those cases, you can still rent out your unit, right? And, and make some money back. Um, or it's the <laughs> second type of mistake. And this was a lot of our early adopters, right? The second type of mistake is you bought an RV and you realize now that you're going to use it two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a month a year, but it's incredibly expensive financially and something that you can't afford. And now you're in this kind of weird cycle where it's like, okay, I have this depreciating asset and I have a little limited amount of time to recoup value. And those folks early on were very, very motivated to use RV share to, uh, to start, you know, cutting a dent into what they saw as a big, you know, financial loss for them. And the beauty of RV share, especially in those early days and, and even now is it can take that buy that was a financial mistake and turn it into something that actually drives revenue. You know, one of the most meaningful moments for me at the company was I was at a conference and this is still early days for our V-share. And so, you know, we're disrupting the industry, disrupting. Uh, I wouldn't use that word. I would say that we're, we're helping to build the industry and we're adding to it. Right. But, but all these people thought that we were disrupting it and that they didn't like us. Right. And somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, you're with our V-share. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, sure. And so he said, you know, I'm a security guard at Walmart based out of Portland. And uh, I saw you guys and I rented out my RV and I made so much money at 
my first RV that I bought a second one and I made so much money off those two RVs that I quit my job and now I just manage those RVs. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for you know, helping me find my calling. It was really meaningful because it helped enable financial and economic freedom for this for this person. And you know, there's other cases of that, right? We have cases where it's you know somebody bought one or two RVs and they're you know now small business owners. And we have cases where people have gotten into this professionally and they're making you know millions, right? Uh, but it's all meaningful, right? Because fundamentally, you know, we're helping to have people build businesses that are successful, and they're doing it by helping people connect with nature and explore their country, which is both exciting things. Yeah, yeah. That's really, though, a focus on, I feel like, what is one side of the market. And ultimately, what it seems you've been able to accomplish at RV Share is cracking the two-sided marketplace Mm -hmm. chicken and egg problem. So I I love you kind of expand on, you know, how, I mean, you mentioned the the kind of time and efficiency depreciating asset, tying in the same usage and efficiency that I think Airbnb has with the physical housing spaces. How is it that you've kind of bridged the the, the market? The demand gap? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So on the demand side, it's interesting, right? Because we came into a world in which there weren't a whole lot of digital booking experiences, right? And so, you know, at the time, the early days of RV share, there weren't a whole lot of websites where you could book an RV online. And so there was a few of the, you know, kind of mega fleets, right, that were very large, professionally operated, and, and you could book some of those, but that's limited, right? The number of units was limited, and the locations were limited. They weren't even operating most of them in, in the whole country. So you couldn't rent an RV anywhere from there. You know, for us, making a digital purchasing experience and kind of getting into the e-commerce of RV rental, if you will, that in of itself was a step forward, whether it's peer-to-peer or not. And a lot of times that's that was what made the difference, right? Was now they could book an RV easily online in a transparent, comfortable, safe way, right? Because before it was either you book with some of these mega fleets and maybe that's okay, or you're out of options, right? And uh, a lot of the smaller RV rental operations, right? The guys that have 10, 20, 50 RVs, there was no digital process, right? And so you're looking at things like either going in and store to book, which doesn't really work if you're traveling to a location at all, or alternatively like mailing a check, right? Which, you know, I don't know about you, but I would never mail a check for any purchase. You know, the comfort level just wasn't there. And so creating a more comfortable environment was a big, big piece of it, right? And then you add to that, what does peer-to-peer do? Well, fundamentally it unlocks geographic distribution that was the other piece right which is you know we could get into all 50 states without any physical footprint and that allowed us to expand but more importantly allowed us to have rvs that were conveniently located for people right generally speaking rvs are located uh, in places that people either want to go or people already live already right and so we just kind of made that turnkey and enabled it yeah so there there's a really a confluence of factors at play i think that have built to you know, the variables that have, that have led to RV Share's success. I'm curious, how much do you feel like timing the, the luck of that has been with the rise of, you know, peer-to-peer marketplaces and the sharing economy? Like, would this idea have worked 15 years ago or did you need the same kind of underlying mechanisms of like the ubiquity of phones for Uber and like the ability to build trust online and like with Airbnb? Do, like, would this idea have, have worked yeah, it's a great question. And look, it's hard to say whether I would have worked 15 years ago. I guess I can just speak to some of those factors, right? So like, you know, mobile is, is not as critical for our business as it would be for uh, an Uber and not even necessarily as critical as it is for an Airbnb, right? You know, typically RV rentals are, are higher ticket value basket size purchases. And almost definitionally, that means that people, especially when it's a transaction they're not familiar with, have some propensity to book those on on laptops or desktops, right? So the mobile piece may be a little bit less, but that being said, right, like there's no question we've benefited from comfort that has 
been created by by other peer-to-peer marketplaces for the sharing economy itself, right? You know, we as is any business today uh, built in on the sharing economy concept, we're beneficiaries of those that came before us, right? And made that more comfortable for people, whether that be somebody more recent like an Uber or a Lyft, or whether that be somebody 20, 30 years ago like PayPal. Yeah. Building on just the sharing economy, do you feel that the, and I don't even know the the hard statistics on it, but anecdotally, it seems there's societally a shift towards less ownership, more buy-as-you-go type of model mm-hmm. built on the back of these peer-to-peer marketplaces in the sharing economy. Yep. Is, is that something that you think is kind of here as a sticking point, or is it more of a fad? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's a sticking point. Again, I, I'm a little bit biased, right? But, but fundamentally, <laughs> right, I think that people are realizing that there's a huge value to fractional ownership uh, in two components, right? One, there's an obvious price component to it. But the second one is just operationally, right? Like if you own an RV, you have to take care of the maintenance, you have to take care of the management of it, uh, you have to take care of the storage of it. Like storage is actually a hard cost for most RV owners, right? So to you know, just wipe out all those issues and costs and think like, okay, whenever I need one, I can just get one. And oh, by the way, I can, you know, get a different kind of RV every time I want to fit my needs. So if it's just me and my wife, I can get a small one. And if it's me, my wife and my kids, I can get a bigger one, right? Like having that turnkey optionality makes it incredibly valuable, right? And so all that to say, right? Like I think that things like sharing economy more broadly, but then also within this space specifically are here to stay, right? The more people realize that it can get them, you know, 90 something percent of the benefits with lower cost, right? You're going to see people gravitate towards it, right? And and like I said, in the case of RVs, it's not even like a 90% benefit, right? It's like, it's like, it's actually easier and better to rent than it is to buy in a lot of cases. Okay. So, so how does RV share make money? Yeah, we're, you know, we're like a lot of peer-to-peer marketplaces, right? So we just take a cut of the transactions that take place on our platform. Got it. So in the, in the last year, it's come out more recently than that, that you guys have closed on over a hundred million dollar round. It's an incredible milestone, but obviously, um, you know, has has I think particular gravity here in in Cleveland and mm-hmm. in, in Akron and uh, you know the Cleveland adjacent areas. I'd love if you could just share a bit about the the fundraising process and really the the last year of traction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, you know, coming off of uh, the the summer, we had a big summer in, in 2020. We entered conversations with KKR and, and felt like they were a great partner for us to, to work with going forward and, uh, and continue to grow the business. So it's great to have that sticker price, but I think we're really also excited about what it means for us as a business going forward in terms of growth. Uh, and we're really excited to, to you know, get to work with the KKR team, right? Who we think are you know incredible at what they do and incredibly sharp and will hopefully help add another level of, of thought to our business uh, and our, our roadmap going forward. So all of that is, is you know, has been Wonderful. Uh, I would say just from kind of a regional perspective, right? Like it obviously is, is, is a big chunk of money. Hopefully it shows that you can build any company anywhere, right? Uh, particularly as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the future and, you know, the trajectory that that RV Share has, you know, what is ultimately the impact 10 years from now? That's the vision for, for the company. Are, are, we, are we talking autonomous RVs or, you know, what's the... <laughs> Where, where are we going? You know, you'd be surprised how much autonomous RVs come up uh, <laughs> when you're talking to folks in the industry. Yeah, sure would be great. I mean, look, for us, we're not focused on things like creating <laughs> autonomous RVs, right? Uh, you know, and, and coming back to the fundraise, right? Like, it's a big sticker price, right? But but we view most of that going towards something very, very simple, right? Which is growing RV rentals 
across the country. Like we still think we are in the early, early innings of acquiring and getting RVs to be listed and getting people into them. So just like a quick anecdotal stat, right? But you know, we have over a hundred thousand units on the platform, which is great, right? It's a big number. There are 10 million RVs domestically. And so we're only at 1%. So, so again, we're in early innings just of that, right? Which, you know, we've made a lot of progress, right? We've, we've, you know, done all these things that I talked about, right? Uh, and I'm very proud of our team and everybody at the company for helping us to get to those points. But that being said, right, like we think that that is the biggest room for growth in our business, right? Uh, and then beyond that, yeah, I mean, look, we think about other ways in which we can continue to build on what we've done on the RV side, uh, domestically and abroad, as well as, you know, uh, within the vertical. So you know, always exploring those ideas as well. Sure, sure. So with just, you know, in the ballpark of that 1% capture for the market, how do you think about competition in this space, you know, understanding that at least it seems in, in the other spaces that maybe have are a little further down the, the line in, in terms of development, that really it, it seems to be a kind of winner takes all uh, with, with these peer to peer marketplaces. Yeah, I mean, I would I would push back on that a little bit. Like, I don't think it's usually winner takes all. It's usually, you know, maybe two take all, right? Or something like that, right? And so if you look sure. at any of these spaces, uh-huh. right? Like you have Airbnb and VRBO, you have Lyft and Uber, right? So you usually have uh, some kind of duopoly. You know, that being said, right? Like, look, we look at our business and think, what are the tactical steps that we can take to grow the business this year and next year and the year beyond that, right? Like, competition began, right? And so as long as we're growing at a significant clip, we're comfortable with that. And so you know, we don't spend as much time thinking about maybe competitive threats as other businesses might. And honestly, like, I think that that's something for the Midwest uh, folks out there, particularly you know, in markets where it might be tough to raise capital, to keep in mind, which is, you know, if you're able to build a company that is foundationally strong, that's what enables the fundraisers. That's what enables investors to get excited and interested. And by the way, doing that at a at a you know easy and I shouldn't say easy, but kind of a clean clip is what makes people excited, right? And so we weren't raise heavy in terms of our capital raises. We weren't you know spend heavy either, right? We we did in a fairly lean way, but but having really strong fundamentals to the business is what has enabled our growth. It's what enabled the fundraise. It's what enables us to continue to kind of march down the path we're on. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to go on a little bit of a detour and, and just talk about Akron for a bit and the, the Akron startup space there. Yeah. I mean, uh, most of the folks that I've, I've been able to talk to so far have been, you know, very Cleveland specific. Um, but to me, kind of having gone over to Youngstown and, and, the, and the YBI and, and all the initiatives going on there, there's a lot going on in the entrepreneurial space in, in, in places around Cleveland. And I think in particular in, in Akron. Um, and so I'd love if, if you could just kind of give a, a little bit of an overview of, of what's going on in Akron. Well, look, a, a few things. So I guess, you know, one, I'll say, and you know, I spent four years roughly at, at Jumpstart. So I, you know, I've been to Youngstown, I looked at companies in Akron, I spent time all, all across the state in Columbus and Ohio, uh, in Cincinnati as well. So, you know, well-versed in kind of the startup opportunities uh, within Ohio. Just specifically on Akron, what I'll say is, you know, we have an office in Austin as well. Up until now, we still have made all of our dev hires in Akron. And I, I say that because, you know, it, it's in some ways a point of pride, right, that, that we've been able to really attract a high quality engineering talent, you know, such that you know, while we have another office and we have employees across the country, uh, myself included, we are still able to keep that operation there, which is kind of a, an exciting thing, right, and I think speaks to talent within the region. More broadly in, in the ecosystem, uh, in, in the Northeast Ohio region, I think that there's clearly still opportunities, right? Now, one of the things that is tricky, right, is figuring out how you bridge the gap between the theoretical opportunities and a lot of the, uh, you know, in the flesh pieces of business building uh, that may not be as well developed, right? And so, you know, 
in some ways, the increase in remote work is, is, is going to be as big a boon, I think, to the ecosystem as anything, right? Because it'll make it easier for early stage companies in Northeast Ohio and across the state to, to raise capital from investors on the coast because you know, they're just used to doing remote now, right? Or more used to it than ever before. So that really helps. I think the second piece that helps is talent that is willing to work from more broad set of places, uh, willing to uh, work at you know different price tags accordingly, and then is expecting to work remotely, right? Where suddenly it doesn't matter quite as much that you aren't able to get just the right sales guy in, in Cleveland. And so, you know, having spent time recruiting and hiring in Akron and Cleveland, and then spending time doing it in Austin, and then, you know, now doing it on a more national basis, I'll tell you, right? Like, it sure does make it easier when you broaden that pool. Uh, and so hopefully that's something that, that uh, entrepreneurs and business builders in, in Ohio will be able to take an advantage of as well. Yeah. You know, having initially wanted to switch from the investing side to the operator side and, and, and building, with that having been your kind of initial drive and intent, what have you learned having made that jump that, that you didn't see coming? Yeah, well, look, I think that I was really, really lucky uh, to be able to start in the investing world and move over. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, like, how did you do it? And I, like, the honest answer is I just got lucky, right? Like, I found Jumpstart uh, through VFA. That was kind of lucky. I found VFA through, you know, my girlfriend. That was lucky. And then I'm really always will be grateful for, for Jerry uh, at Jumpstart and, and others for taking a chance on me when there was no real reason to. I mean, I didn't know a whole lot coming in the door. You know, hopefully I knew a little bit more by the end of it. But all of that, right, I credit to other people. What, what I will say is making the transition over once you've been an investor, I think the important thing is to know what you do know and be very open about the fact that there's a lot of things you don't know, right? And that'll help make the transition easier because going into it, right, like I knew about a lot of things theoretically, right? From product <laughs> development to sales to marketing to just the cultural operations of a company. Like I knew about it theoretically, but but it's not the same as being there day to day, right? And so coming in with, you know, a sense of what you do know, right, which is the types of steps the companies need to take to be successful, you know, and that hopefully does translate over. And then reconciling that with the fact that, you know, you might be a little fuzzy on the tactics and you're going to have to learn there, right? Reconciling those two things, I think is helpful. And then I think coming in with enough humility to kind of roll up your sleeves and do whatever is important. You know, I'll always remember that early on in my, my time at RV Share, you know, I was building out one of our sales teams and, and I realized like I never really sold anything, right? So like, I was in this more senior role <laughs> building out a team and I realized like, I haven't sold anything until I do. Like, this is not going to work. And so I picked up the phone and I started calling, right? And I, and I sold a few customers, right? I was able to land, you know, a few big ones. That gave me some, you know, confidence in my own abilities, but it also helped me to coach up our team and help me to hire the right people. It hopefully helped them to, you know, want to work with me more. So I think those are the types of things that you just have to do if you're going to make the transition. Yeah, it certainly requires a, a level of adaptability and, and humility, at least in my experience as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you've been through it too. Yeah, yeah, it's a constant humbling process. Yeah, and look, that's the thing that's funny about, you know, startups in general, right? Is it's all humbling, right? Like you can be, you know, as successful as, you know, your boss, right? And when you start on day one, like at the new company, like you're still a founder running a very small company, right? <laughs> like all the street cred and everything else goes out the window for uh, for those customers. They don't really care. Yeah, yeah. That resonates quite a bit. So, having spent this this time at at RV Share prior at, at Jumpstart. Before we we get into just some Cleveland uh, specific questions, I guess I've found that there's a little bit of a, a disconnect. Maybe that's not the right word, but between the Cleveland and, and adjacent spaces, 
in your mind, is there like, what's the opportunity to tie together, you know, Akron and, and Cleveland more, more tangibly in, in terms of like the startup ecosystems, given that I think like together as a combined entity resource, given our relative sizes from the get-go that that would, you know, probably be beneficial for us to to have. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's one of the weirdest things as an outsider, right? Like, I'm from the East Coast, uh, as you are, right? Like, I you know, I came to Cleveland to, to work at Jumpstart. Jumpstart was, you know, big in trying to pull together the region, right? So I spent time in Akron then as well. And just seeing the, the uh, disconnect between the communities was shocking to me. In some ways, the the animosity was, was shocking, right? Because if you're in New York or San Francisco or wherever else, Forget Cleveland and Akron. You think of Ohio as the whole like as the same thing. You think of the Midwest almost as the same thing, right? <laughs> right, right. So the idea that there's a distinction in any level of uh, of lack of cooperation between two places that are 45 minutes apart is crazy, right? Like it's just crazy. It's, it's not a way to succeed <laughs> yeah. at all, right? It's the tyranny of small differences. Exactly, right? And so, like you know, it's one, right? It really is. And uh, and we at at uh, RV show looked at hiring within the region. We didn't look at it as Akron versus Cleveland. We looked at it as anybody that can drive to us in an hour or not, right? Uh, and that included everybody, right? If you lived in Youngstown, right? Like that would be fine too, right? In fact, we have people that are not quite at Youngstown, but but out that ways, right? It's all the same, right? And that, you know, it's either you're here or you're not, right? And I think that's the right philosophy, right? Especially when you're looking to bring together the community, right? And so we have plenty of people at, at uh, RV show that work in Cleveland and drive down to the office. I myself, when I was based in Cleveland, uh, and I never moved to Akron, I used to just drive down. It took me like 30 minutes in the mornings, right? Reverse commute. So I think that oneness is important, right? Which is like, you know, you're in it together, right? There isn't this real distinction, right? And and the more people regionally see that, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever ever coming back to the world of investing? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm having a lot of fun <laughs> on the other side of the table. I would say probably having more fun, all things considered. So, you know, never say never, but no plans to do it as my full-time gig in the near future. You know, I am excited about, you know, getting involved as an advisor and investor into companies on the side. But no plans in the near future to be a full-time investor anytime soon. All right. So one of the kind of uniform and closing questions that, that we're asking everyone is not necessarily your favorite thing in Cleveland, but your favorite hidden gem in Cleveland. Favorite hidden gem in Cleveland. That's a good one. Hmm. Well, you know, the, the easy answer, the one that I think most people might say, so I, I might need to come up with another one, but, uh, but for sure it's Mitchell's. <laughs> Oh yeah, no one has yeah. said Mitchells yet. This is the okay. best. No one said Mitchells yet. Okay, yeah, yeah yes, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, look, I think that uh, Mitchells is as good ice cream as I've ever had in my life anywhere. Uh, it's the best. So, so you know, one thing like that's probably the thing I miss the most on a day to day basis. And you know, it's funny because like you get Jenny's like on the East Coast and, and all over the place distributed, but there's no question in my mind Mitchells is better. So I really wish that <laughs> it was available at you know my local Whole Foods. Yep, I. Uh... Ah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to have some ice cream after this. <laughs> Jealous, yeah. I wish I could get some too. <laughs> yeah, only in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, only in Cleveland. And it's funny, with ice cream is one of those things you can't ship either, right? So it's like either you're back in Cleveland and you can get it or you're not. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, if anyone has any any questions or, or things that they would like to to follow up with you about, where's the best place for, for them to find you? Yeah, you know, you can always find me uh, on LinkedIn or ping me on Twitter. I'm happy to respond to anybody in, in Northeast Ohio or, or anywhere, really, and, and help them any way I can with what little knowledge I've gained over the past few years. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my, my Twitter handle is at Tihasanji, T-H-A-S-S-O-N-J-E-E, tricky last name, but, you know, happy to uh, to help any way I can. Or honestly, if you just go to RV show, you'll find me. 
Awesome. Really appreciate you you coming on, Tara. I think the work and 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 progress you guys have at RV Share is is really exciting for for the space and obviously for for the company. So congratulations on, on the raise and yeah, really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for asking me. This has been fun. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at thetagan, or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Taken Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or actual and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.